106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Tripped on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind on a jagged sky. Okay, you know, you guys aren't privy to all the new so, uh, you know, that's what you, uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut to the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. There's just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f*** are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sundown shining in him. Well, we're back, back to Jack's. I'm Tom Howell. Greg Pappas on the, on the board. SP Futures down 450. NASDAQ Futures down 34 for a huge up day yesterday. Even huger than a pretty big down day on Monday. So now today's like the, we'll see what happens, two out of three. Although the, the Bulls have it leading at this point. Do we have Professor Lou? Good morning, sir. How do you read me? I read read you loud and clear, as they say. Now don't don't say you, it's, you picked a bad day to do a drop amphetamines or whatever Lloyd Bridges said. <laughs> yeah, well, my uh, my voice sounds a little froggy because uh, I spent uh, I spent a significant portion of yesterday at the uh, at the Air Force Academy talking to uh, incoming cadets and their parents. Um, the academy holds a, a it's so different from when I was inducted. Uh, they they allow the parents you know in 1973 nobody wanted the parents around at the uh, yeah, yeah at the at the induction spot and all that but but now it's a it, and I I put it down to to you know the accommodation of helicopter parents and parents are just more involved and and so they hold two events uh, the first one was yesterday where the parents come up and uh, you know with the kids. And they have this big kind of get together with all these all the cadets and their parents, and they all get to sit down and meet each other and and talk and uh, and get to you know they get to to know each other in their by uh, by their summer training squadrons. Again, something completely foreign to me. I didn't know who was in my summer training squadron. I didn't know that for like two weeks. <laughs> all the all the people that were in there. Um, I, I I met my uh, my summer training uh, classmates. When I when I walked into my room and there were two other guys in there that I'd never seen before, so it's a it's a very convivial kind of a kind of a place or kind of, a, of an atmosphere. And I they bring back uh, graduates. In this case, uh, where I'm I'm part of a, of a group of 50 year graduates. You know, we were we were where these kids were 50 years ago this week. And so we come back and and basically talk to the the cadets about you know what what we did in our careers so that they see what the future looks like a little bit, 
and and talk to the parents and try to reassure the parents about yeah you know you can get through this and and this is what it looks like uh you know this is what it looks like at the end of the trip so they all want to grow up and be like you well what i what i told them was you know i'm here i'm here to do a couple of things but the first thing i'm here to do is is to serve as a warning this is what it looks like when you don't take care of yourself god you look fine i think so, i think the parents will look at you and say that's not bad I, you know, you've, you've, uh, you've, you've jagged the memory here. I remember when I, my first weekend of freshman orientation down at Notre Dame, where, you know, the parents pretty much, not everybody, but I mean, my, we were close enough, so my parents, you know, drove me and my crap down there, which wasn't that much. Uh, and, uh, but, but a lot of guys just, you know, they just showed up, or, a lot, you know, a lot of people got dropped off, but some people didn't. Some people, you know, came on the train or came on the plane or whatever, and, uh, and uh, you know that's the first time you met your roommates. You walked in and said, "Who are you?" You know, and uh, right. But my parents, you know, my my stepfather had gone to college. He commuted to DePaul on a GI Bill. My mom never came close to a college, so and I'd say most of my buddies, their parents, maybe one of them had gone to college, but it was not something you. They didn't know. My mother was horrified at the at the room in Morrissey Hall that four of us were going to live. <clears throat> but uh, but you know we got over that. But everybody just kind of had you know a, a day where they had some you know, reception for the parents, and all of a sudden they all went home, and that that was kind of it. I mean, it was like you say, you you met your roommates when you when you walked in the room. Well, I, I mean, I, again, this was such a, a different experience. So the day of my induction, not that I was supposed to show up at the academy, um, I ended up you know I, I my parents took me to the airport. And said goodbye at the airport. See ya. And I got on the, I got I got on a plane, and uh, arrived at Colorado Springs Airport. You know, I had my, I still have this. I had been issued when I when I got my orders. You know, saying okay, you'll report here uh, to the academy at such and such a date. I got a transportation voucher that that I handed on paper, of course, that I a multi carbon form that I handed to the uh, to the the ticket agent at the, uh, you know, at Minneapolis airport. And they, they, they issued my, uh, my boarding pass. And then I had a, a meal ticket, literally a meal ticket good for $2 and 50 cents for the purchase of, of food for my, for my travel. And I was so nervous, obviously that I couldn't eat. So I this was before I McDonald's before McDonald's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. Yeah. You, it, you know, and it was, it was hilarious. It it was a, again a multi-carbon form, and it instructed the restaurant owner to accept this for two dollars and fifty cents, which you know was a a sandwich and fries and a bunch of other stuff in 1973, and to to accept this as payment, uh, I still have it. I kept it as a kind of a, a memoir of what that that day was like. But I arrived at the Colorado Springs Airport and um, you know came off the airplane, and there standing. You know, as you got your bag, standing there was a, you know, a guy in in blues, and uh, we walked, you know, we walked up to him. He checked our name off on a on a uh, checklist that he had, and then just pointed at a at a outside and said, "Move." <laughs> what did uh when I was uh high school, I don't even know if they have these anymore, but I was a national merit finalist, so I got recruited by a bunch of places. Michigan State being one of them, but I, I got stuff from all three of the academies. 
If I would have decided to go down that road, how would I have picked one? I mean, well, I mean how, how did you pick Air Force in that Army or Navy or something? Did you, just, you wanted to fly or? Well, I was I was a recruited athlete, so I actually was recruited I, like you. I was a National Merit uh, finalist. I, I got recruited by all three, but but the real, I mean, the real ping happens. It, it's it's very it's a very well organized process. I I was originally interested in Army, and and that was the result of a chance interaction with the boyfriend of the sister of one of the guys I swam with. So this kid that was on my swimming team with me, his sister um, introduced me to her boyfriend who was a West Point cadet. And that, that guy was really, I mean, he's one of those really impressive people you meet in, in college and you just go, holy cow. Okay, I want to be like this guy. Well, you, just so didn't, he, you just didn't want to go to Tennessee and follow your dad's footsteps. Right? Why did you decide a military thing? Um, mainly because um, I was I was you know in 1973 um, nobody wanted to be in the military, which meant that for me, well, I think I'll try that out. That was that was number one. The main issue though was the or main draw was the education, the extremely broad education. Their their core the core curriculum at, at Air Force West Point in Annapolis uh, extended into your. Uh, well, it was your second class year, your junior year. So you were taking mandatory classes all the way up to um, your junior year, and then you started plugging into your major. And, and I mean, I, I don't know what you graduated with. I graduated with over 200 semester hours of credit. Wow. I, I mean, it was that kind of a, it was that kind of a force feeding of academic work. And, and I, I love the idea of, because I know I was going to take these classes by myself. I love the idea of taking, being forced. You know, I took, I took, you know, astronautical, aeronautical, uh, civil engineering courses, and I was a Russian major. I took, um, I, I, you know, I had, I had eight or nine semesters of, of uh, applied, you know, math all the way up to analytic geometry. Um, so you're I, a civil I, engineer. That made you could spec out your driveway. Well. I mean, I, I at least I knew when I saw a guy specking out a driveway what he was doing and the calculations yeah. he was using. Um, I, I had, uh, you know, one of the few, the academy was one of the few places at the time that was teaching astronautics, and so I had I had two semesters of astro, astronautical engineering. I had two semesters of electrical engineering. I mean, I, I all right, well, all right. for it, those of us, what is astronautical? It's not aerospace. What is it? Oh, it's orbital mechanics oh, yeah. and um, um, you know things like uh, you know thrust to orbit and reentry calculations and things like that. You know, you know the stuff on Apollo thirteen when you see the guys messing with the slide rules yeah, yeah. as they're trying to work. Yeah, that that was us. <laughs> Wait, um, so it it really um, I, I really was attracted by the very broad based engineering and math that was going to be required even of a soft science major like me. One of my best buddies um, did a freshman year in which had to have been he was he must have showed up in uh fall of 70. And he did freshman year and then he transferred to uh Notre Dame. He was doing pretty good out there and I guess boy he said the people tried to talk him into staying it was pretty dramatic. Then you could leave after you had to leave after your freshman year if you didn't need a commitment. 
now it's well you the, it, it still it, it was always you they gave you two years um, I think he might only at, have at one right? I thought he said one but it might have been two long time um, it, it, you, you typically um, at the end of your uh, second year at the end of your third class year you, you go on summer assignment and then you would you would come back to the academy and at 20, 20 hundred hours at 8 o'clock the night before academics started if the second hand crossed the the twelve on the clocks, if you were still there, you were committed. Really? And uh, yeah, I mean that that it was a very bright line. And of course, being <clears throat> a bunch of smart aleck, over hormoned, you know, people with poor impulse control, they the cadets made a, a big thing about this. You know, that there'd be it, it would be very quiet at the academy the night before academics started. And then as the second hand crept up toward 8 p.m., you started hearing people screaming, you know, I want to get out. Let me out of here. I can't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and then the second hand crosses, and, and then the music start, started blasting out of speakers, you know. With, I mean, the one that um, I was in, I was on 16th Squadron, so I, I, I remember somebody put the speakers from his stereo, and again, in the 70s, you, you just didn't. You know, we we couldn't have TVs, um, so the only thing you really like piece of electronics you could you could own was a was a radio or stereo system. Oh. So so people spent money on that. Um, some guy turned his speakers out into the hallway and turned on. I've got the fixin' to die blues rag oh, by Country Joe McDonald. You know from Woodstock, where the the yeah. guys you know they start out they start out dropping f bombs and the in the in the uh, was that, kind of, that country was that country Joe and the fish? Yes. Yeah. Country <clears throat> Joe McDonald. Anyway, yeah. the you know you know give me you know the whole intro and then come on all you big strong men, Uncle Sam, need your help again. Blast it out into the hallway as everybody got committed, and I mean it was it was it was crazy. Um, we had a, we had no TV in the dorm that 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 you could go watch, but I of course brought down a nineteen inch black and white and the first thing I did when I got there was creep up into the top floor <clears throat> and run out on the roof and of course there were a few UHF antennas just hanging up there from years gone by so I would uh, find one close to the dorm and I'd or our room and I'd, <laughs> I'd hook onto the thing and wing the antenna wire over and somebody pull it in from the window and presto we had our TV yeah well you could there was a t- each cadet squadron had what was called a television room so there was one television in the entire um, in the entire uh, you know door the squadron, and and it was you know this communal TV watching exercise, which in some respects was frustrating because you know typically the first classmen would come in and, and they would say all right we're going to watch this, but there were certain shows that were universal. Yeah, there weren't, Star Trek. we only had three stations, so there wasn't a whole lot of arguing. Well, sure. I mean, I mean, it was the same with yeah. us, but. So Star Trek, you know, Star Trek being being a uni- one of those universal shows. If it was on, you know, everybody sat down and, and watched it. But you didn't have fre- um, the the fourth classman, the freshman, had no television privileges. And I mean, it's so it's so completely different now because yeah. the the cadets now have have uh, computers, which of course they can stream the stream stuff on. Um, they can FaceTime with their parents. I mean, my communication with my parents. Was limited to where I could get to a payphone, um, in the, you know, in the place. I had to make a collect call, um, and or, or writing letters, you know, 
And we had, uh, I was we, we had a phone in every room, but everybody first thing you did was get your your calling card. So if you called out of the room and wanted to call longer distance, you had a, you had your number and then you'd get the bill and of course people'd use your number and you'd fight with them over the bill. It was it was kind of, but we did have a <clears throat> every year we I always managed to I was always pretty pretty clever dude in this regard. We always I always game the room selection system. So we always had a party room. And you know, we'd like a, a room that was designed for three people. We'd have the people double up elsewhere, and then we'd have a, we had a big room. We'd build a bar in there, and that was our TV room. But you had to have rules. And one of the rules is anybody who would, had watched the movie before, if they said one thing about how it was going to end, they were banned for like a month. Because yeah. other, other people. Uh, I, I, mean, I mean, obviously, obviously there, were, there were things like that, that that occurred. The last place you wanted to be in a cadet squadron. There were no party rooms. The last place you wanted to be was near the foosball room. Oh. So we had a <clears throat> we had a room that had a foosball table in it, typically, and uh, you know maybe some maybe some workout gear. Um, but you your <laughs> again your options for doing anything other than studying or exercising were <laughs> were very were very limited. And, Again, it, it was interesting to talk to the parents about this because I did have at least one of them sort of ask me, "How does this compare to what you had?" And I, I, I just said, "Well, I left I left Minneapolis on I think it was June 30, and and, and processed in on June 30, and I did not see my parents again or even talk to them for six weeks, and wow. then I didn't I didn't talk to them for six weeks." And then I didn't see them until uh, the beginning of September. So it was a, re- I mean, it was a real. By the way, we were turkey. We were ears, we were ears burning last Wednesday night. I was talking about you. Then you got we got to talk. You gotta, we got to talk about mercenaries. My, we got to talk my, about my, Russia. My ears, my your ears, ears are bur- always burning. I think I've got an infection. Uh, your ears were burning because my one of the guys that uh, comes by for. Uh, uh, judge Tuman Knight, who's an older judge that's very well respected. By the way, he's getting, he's pretty sick now, which really has me bummed out this week. But um, I hope he hope he does okay. But at age eighty four, I, I don't know. Uh, but uh, really, uh, fantastic career as a judge here in Chicago. Every kind of real big case where they wanted somebody that was above reproach morally, um, they would give to him. As a matter of fact, he's the guy who said they needed the special prosecutor in the Jesse Smollett case. Oh, which means, okay. Which means that uh, Tony Preckwinkle hates him till his dying day, right? Um, well, and so does so does Kim Fox. Yeah, so does so Kim does, Fox. So yeah. does Bill Clinton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, so, but anyway, he was you know he didn't, he didn't care about stuff like that. He, he got booted out of Nutrer and joined the Marines at like seventeen, and then becomes a judge. He went back for like a reunion, and they go, "What are you, uh, you doing know, here?" And he goes, you know, "I'm a judge now. <laughs> How can you be a judge? We kicked you out." <laughs> Anyway, so, Tom, one of one of the most interesting judges I practiced in front of in, in uh, Northern Virginia had been a carrier pilot off the Oriskany during the Vietnam War, wow. and, and came back to go to law school. I, I pretty much thought after that, you know, the challenges of legal practice were not were not overwhelming. Well, well, the one dude that comes by is is a uh, an accountant, but his son is uh, Air Force Academy, and he must be he's either finished his freshman or his sophomore year, but he's going for his first assignment, where they send you places, and he's, yeah, in the summer, yep. And he's actually getting to go to uh, some place in North East England, which used to be a base for uh, RAF 
fighter pilots with the German bombers and stuff, and he's going to spend the summer there. That's got to be really cool. Those, those summer, you know, the summer assignments were were coveted. Um, I'm glad to hear they're sending guys overseas now. It was all stateside when I was when I was there. Although if you got assigned to a, a transport unit, you could find yourself, you know, flying a mission with them to exotic places. I my, my summer base assignment. They call it third lieutenant. My summer base assignment was to a place called Loring, Maine, Loring Air Force Base, Maine, which is right outside of a place called Caribou, Maine, about three miles, four miles straight line distance to the Canadian border. And uh, it was a SAC base. It was a bomber base. Really? And uh, I, I, you know, I thought, oh, my God. I mean, literally, there was nothing to do there. It was it was uh, isolated out in the middle of nowhere kind of place. They had, they had a bar. Um, There's always a bar. Well, I mean, there was a bar in Caribou, um, but it was one of those. It was one of those places because the community was so isolated. It was a very, very tight base community. Um, I, I I learned a ton there with uh, with the, the people I was I was with. I flew. Uh, I think I flew six B fifty two missions um, and a couple of KC one thirty five missions with. Uh, with guys, I mean, it was it was really a, a great a great summer, but yeah, those base assignments are highly coveted. I I don't I don't know how they're assigning them now. Um, it, it used to be that they were assigned based on your class order of merit. Well, he, he said so some of his buddies were his son's buddies were, you know, like places in Oklahoma and so forth, and we're just going to be. You know, and he got the one. He didn't really ask for it. He just ended up with the one in Britain. He just he said he'd never been overseas, so he, he's pretty happy about it. Anyway, oh, I'll, uh, bet, I'll, I'll bet. So, what do you want? What do you want to well, hear I mean, about Russia? We, we talked a little bit uh, with Mike. I don't know if you listened the other day, but just the whole the whole mercenary thing has always fascinated me since I read the Dogs of War. I mean, uh, and how you know, I mean, of course, me being my these guys, you got to remember these guys aren't aren't true mercenary mercenaries. They are not for hire. Okay, the Vag- the Wagner guys. They're a private military company, a PMC. We have, they are not, like, who's the, they are the guys not true here? mercenaries. Who are the guys here? Black something? Who are the guys here that supposedly do that? You're talking about, you're talking about, well, they used to be called Blackwater, but they're, yeah. they're, uh, they are, they are much closer to true mercenaries in that they will, they will fight, uh, or they will serve with other governments. Um, the Wagner, uh, PMCs and the other PMCs that operate in, uh, in Russia are Russia. Only now, I guess what I don't know what always gets me back to this: Do they get paid? I mean, does this guy send Putin a bill oh, yeah. and get a check? I mean, who? I mean, who the hell? I mean, do you send him a check? I got fifty thousand guys. It's two hundred a day. If they're if they're not fighting, five hundred a day. If they are, you owe me a mill. Send the check. I mean, is it is it that simple? Um, well, it's a little. It's even. It's even a little more basic than that. They not only get paid. Yeah, they they draw pay from the the PMC. So Prigozhin. Uh, uh, gets a budget and then disperses disperses pay to his people they are better paid than the than the Russian conscripts and they get to pillage so that was, was, so was my next question do you get to do you get to rape and pillage uh, yes to both um, so one of the major the last major battle between US and Russian forces and there have been some skirmishes but but a major battle between U.S. and Russian forces occurred in Syria, 
about uh, maybe eight, nine years ago, where a Wagner group was moving <coughs> in, and they were, the Russians supported one, they supported Assad, we supported the anti-Assad forces in Syria. So the Russians are, you know, and there's a couple of hundred, I mean like 500 of them, the battalion size. They are moved with, with tanks. They are moving on this anti-Assad occupied oil refinery. Assad's still there, right? Yes. So they were moving on this, this anti-Assad oil refinery, and the, their goal was to capture it, and then they would sell the oil. And, and, and they could keep the money that they, they earned from selling the oil to their, you know, to their Assad allies. But they, they, so being, they, were, they being who, who how, do they, how are they organizing it? Is it a corporate, I mean... Well, well, I mean, I mean, the, the they being they being Wagner, they were they were moving on this. Oh, so they're they're they're, they're a company of some kind. Yes, Wagner is a as I said a private military okay. company. So, so that's so that's Pirot. Uh, I, I always screw this guy's name up. Yeah, I don't know, but, but you can write a che- you can write a check to Wagner, and they got a bank account. I guess is what I'm saying. They've got a bank account, and and they pillage, and they fund themselves through their pillaging operations. They tried to take this oil refinery. We had, I think, ten or fifteen U.S. Special Forces guys there, and and they were they were looking at these guys coming at them, and they they were going to die. I mean, they were they knew they were they were going to get killed, and uh, so they 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 got a hold. They were able to make radio contact with uh, our CENTCOM people and said, "We're about to get we're about to get overrun by a battalion of these guys." So apparently. Um, so this was during Trump's administration, so it must be within the last seven years. So, so you know, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs picks the phone up, calls the Russian Ministry of Defense on the hotline, and said, we think we're about to engage uh, a, a hostile force at, in this location. Do you have anybody there? And the Ministry of Defense said, no, we don't. And and the the JCS chair goes, I want to make sure, and the guy said no, and he said okay, and they, so the the Russians were massed in this formation with, as I said, with a couple of tanks coming at these these special forces operators, and a B fifty two that had been loitering in the area with a full bomb load came over and dropped, you know, seventy five five hundred pound bombs on top of these guys. Oh, God, blew just blew the, I mean, right on top of them, just just blew everything up. And then four or five Apache attack helicopters that had been diverted from another place came in, strafed the strafed and killed all the survivors, destroyed the tanks with Hellfire missiles, just raked the area over. And then they had a they had another aircraft, some other kind of aircraft with cluster bomb or uh, CBU cluster bomb units come in and just blow blow the place to you know to smithereens. And the this this is a published account. There are you've got radio comms from the Wagner people, you know, crying for help, screaming they're killing us, they're slaughtering us, and and you know the Russian Ministry of Defense says, well, you know, hey, you're kind of on your own because we you know we don't really we don't really recognize you as formal troops. So oh, I mean the estimates the estimates go somewhere, but I mean effectively five or six hundred guys got killed. To, to you know zero casualties on our on our side so so this is 
this is the, the sort of the nature of their operation. They came to prominence in 2014 during the invasion of Crimea when they were inserted into Crimea by the Russian Ministry of Defense and they were the little green men. They were in green uniforms, no, no insignia, no, no markers of affiliation. They were just there to help. And they, they attacked and destroyed a, a number of Ukrainian uh, positions aren't, aren't and really done a occupied lot of, the country. They've done a lot of work in the spot that the Russians say is all Russian, right? A lot of those guys have been infiltrated. Into yes, their, well, that, that's the area yeah. they occupied. And they also fight They also fight in Africa. They've got a big presence in Africa. Um, but, you know, they're gone now. They, they, they're, that company is going to be disbanded. Um, a bunch of them have gone into Belarus. Now, here's here's an interesting scenario. Um, at least some commentators that I've read have, have indicated that this could have well been some kind of a false flag operation that would allow, you know, in the negotiations, allow Putin to basically place Wagner fighters in Belarus where they could then attack Ukraine from Belarus. And and you know, that's a that's a possibility because these guys the the Wagner people are are you know they're nationalists. They are they are not you know as I said they're not just out there for hire by anybody. They're uh, they're Russian nationalists, and so I could easily see them, the guys that have the, the the Wagner people who have have gone into Belarus. I could easily see them being co-opted by uh, by the Russian Ministry of Defense, and and you know they, I mean they're heavily armed. They've got heavy weapons. Well, we got a dash to break here. We'll, we'll pick this up. We'll get back. SP Futures down 5. NASDAQ Futures down 43. Again, we're down some, but not compared to how much we were up yesterday. Be right back. Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. 
Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures down 475, NASDAQ Futures down 39. Dow Futures actually up 29. Individual stocks in the Dow, Upper Microsoft up a buck 40. Got Boeing up 245. They've been they've been having some trouble lately with the uh, they've lost that huge uh, order and they've just been kind of struggling. There's a lot of other stuff has kind of gone up there. Over in Europe, they were down yesterday some in the morning. Not today. DAX up 137.9%. FTSE up 50.7%. CAC around up 64.9%. So they are breaking a losing streak today, at least so so far. Siemens Energy is up 5%. That's a big stock over in Germany. Uh, Nikkei up 655. That's 2% after they were down a little bit. Uh, Hang Seng up 23. Call that flat. Shanghai down 7 cents. Call that like really flat. Uh, Asia markets mixed as Australian inflation slows and China industrial profits sink. There you go. Yesterday, big rally. Dow up 212. S&P up 49.59. That's over 1%. NASDAQ up 219. They were down 170 the day before, so they more than made up for that. So as, if you look at the numbers right now, we're like exactly even on the week. So that's a little odd. Uh, bonds. 10-year down 3 basis points, 3.73. The bond down 5 basis points, 2.31. Japan up 1, 3.39. We've got oil. Uh, down a penny at 67.69. Oil cannot go anywhere. Brent down three cents, 72.23. Natural gas up a penny, 2.78. Arbob up three cents, 2.55. Gold. Speaking of something that can't go anywhere, three-month low down 8.20, 19.15. Silver down 30 cents, 22.66. Copper down three cents, 3.73. Uh, Biden's giving a speech tonight on Bidenomics, and I cannot absolutely for the life of me figure out why with this Bidenomics. Why gold isn't going to the moon here, but it isn't. Uh, it hasn't for a while. Bitcoin down 363, but still over 30,000, 30,338. And the U.S. dollar uh, down a little bit against the, up a little bit against the pound, sorry. Uh, virtually unchanged against the euro. The euro is 109, the pound 127. Uh, Greg, what do you have for us? Traffic, weather, sports. By the way, is it, a good, is it good when you can see the air? Uh, that is one of the alerts we've got here. Chicago, 63 degrees. It's, it's going to be 78 degree high. Grab your N95s. Hazy skies due to high altitude smoke from Canadian fires. So High altitude. We're on the ninth floor and it's right out the window. <laughs> yeah, so we've got a lot of particulate in the air and we need uh, the sensitive airways need N95s according to the weather people. I so, drove a dude home last night and he barely made it. It asthma and he was packing away. Yeah, it's a little rough here. In Phoenix, however, 91 degrees, all sun, no rain, 104 high today, clear skies. Uh, sports, unfortunately the Cubs lost to the Phillies, 1-5. to five. The Rays um, lost to the Diamondbacks, 4-8. to eight. And the White Sox lost to the Angels, 2-4. to four. Um, the hat trick. Yeah, Shohei Otani, though, was the first AL pitcher in 60 years to homer twice and strike out 10. So that's uh, that's history in the making against the White Sox. Who was that, Babe Ruth? Uh, I didn't check, but I'll have that for you in a couple minutes here. Um, 60 years. Where does, that, where does that put us? 1963? I wouldn't be surprised if it was uh, Bob Gibson or Dan Drysdale. Nope. Taken. No. Inbound Kennedy. Montrose to the interchange is 20 minutes. The Edens, Dempster to the uh, interchange is 31 minutes. Ike, Wolf to the interchange is 24 minutes. 
and the Stevenson is 29 minutes from Ryan to the interchange. So, from, yeah. So, Lou, uh, is the all the smoke in the air over the entire like northern hemisphere of the U.S. here? Is that going to trump global warming since the sun can't get in? Well, I mean, I, that's one of the, uh, you know, that was one of the proposed solutions to uh, to global warming was to inject something, I don't know, sulfur dioxide or something like that up into the atmosphere at high altitude so that you would you would block the sunlight. I, I assume this will have some kind of a some kind of an effect, although, you know, it's it's really not not comparable to like one good volcanic eruption, which uh, which could could shut down or, or uh, you know depress world temperatures by uh, by a degree centigrade for uh, for a while. You, I think the last time we saw that was uh, Pinatubo in uh, in the Philippines. So short answer. I mean, theoretically, you probably get some degradation. Long answer: it's not it's not significant, and uh, at least at least I haven't seen any any indication of significance. And you know, if you want if you want that kind of suppression of global warming, what you what you really look for is a really good volcanic eruption. Yeah, we need one of those, eh? Um, hey, uh, that's yeah, we need one of those. So for all your all your 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 pals out there, you and Greg, uh, let everybody know Costco is cracking down on membership card sharing. Huh. Just saying. Uh, well, when they you know, I mean, uh, so so I was in Costco last week. Um, Your card or and, somebody else's? Oh well, I have a card. So so, but you know, I, I've always wondered about the way they check that stuff at the entrance because it's it's a very cursory glance. I mean, I don't I don't think the person who was um, was checking us was even looking at the whether the card was expired or not. Um, now. You have to when you when you check out, you have to you know they scan it. So I, I wonder, I wonder how they're gonna how they're gonna do that. They're gonna make I guess. Sure, make people. The big problem seems to be, and again, why I I, uh, I I do wonder sometimes Lou, where these people get to be so high up the food chain and make all this money and they're supposed to know all this stuff. The first couple of years at Home Depot are like demanding people self checkout. The first year to report yes. was they couldn't believe how much. I use the term shrinkage. How much was stolen, or people just forgot their, you know, a big bag full of stuff, and you're not used to doing it. You maybe just something, does, you know, gets in the bag without going through the scanner. I'm not going to say it was all intentional, but I mean the idea that your cashiers do serve a purpose. <laughs> so now they're saying is the big problem here is all the people that use other people's cards go to the self scanner. Where nobody, you just scan the card, but the the card's not looking at your. So if you have the credit card, the uh, which I do, the city but, credit card. Yeah, the picture, yeah. Your picture I, I on have, the back. Well, your picture yep. on the back is so tiny that they're now going to ask. They're going to ask for a uh, an ID. So it's mostly for the people at the, uh, you know, at the at the at the self scanners because they say the other people. You don't walk up with a with a with a fake card and, and go through the cashier because you're worried the cashier is going to catch you. But you know, well, yeah, because so so going through going through the self scanner, how how is it going to read a second ID? Um, it's the somehow or another. I don't. They're going to come over and check you. Evidently, they're going to crack down. So the, so instead of having two people checking you out, they're going to have two people watching you self scan and checking you out. So what a waste of. Whatever you know, it's funny when you do all this. I mean, obviously, I wasn't in the 
doing orbits to the moon type of study, but some of the stuff you look, when you talk about labor dynamics and you look at, uh, I mean, if you listen to all the, the chirpers on TV yesterday talking about why these stocks are high and why they're going to go even like twice as high because AI is going to make everybody so efficient and blah, 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 make so much money. You can't, you can't even imagine what AI is going to do for people, sort of like the Internet, sort of like China, sort of like cloud, right? Uh, so we've we got another one of these iterations. But one of the things, when, when people get more efficient, if you do the, the, the and I'm not going to do it on the air, take me a while probably to recreate it on a blackboard, showing my age. Uh, when, when people get, when something shows up to make labor more efficient, if you do the, the, uh, the labor graphs correctly, depending on, you know, the elasticities or non-elasticities of the whole mess, groups are supposed, both labor and the company should share in that largesse. If something, you, you invent a screwdriver so a guy doesn't have to use his fingernail, uh, guess what? He gets to put in more screws per hour and he should get paid more, and oh, by the way, the company should make more. There should be some sort of a sharing there. But sometimes there isn't. And the, uh, remember the dear departed Dominics that went out of business? The, yes. The cashiers went on strike here. This is, God, I don't know how long this was. I don't know if you remember, well, Greg sure doesn't, but when we were real young, Lou, I don't even think the cash registers were electric. They were they were mechanical. No, they were mechanical. And then they became yeah. electric, sort of mechanical. But the ladies actually had a, let's put it this way, Greg, you wouldn't want to get clobbered or arm wrestle one of these women. Because everything yeah, was that they had forearm strength from pushing the stupid buttons. And when you when you when you, you had to whack the thing hard because it that that created the energy for the wheels to spin and for it to total up. So if any one of us, even if we think we're in good shape, tried to do that for eight hours, you wouldn't be able to lift your arm. It was it was no, like it, was, it was like guaranteed guaranteed carpal tunnel syndrome. Oh, got it, God, yes. And uh, so then all of a sudden they get these scanners. So I, I go into Dominic's and you know me talking to everybody. I said to the lady, uh, so you guys are on strike? Are you going on strike? She goes, yeah, you know, we're supposed to be overpaid. She goes, I used to, I used to go through how many people per hour. She was making twelve fifty an hour. This is, I don't know how many years ago. And uh, she goes, we were making twelve fifty an hour. Now with all these scanners and stuff, I do like four times as many people. I'm still making twelve fifty an hour. She goes, I don't see how I'm the problem. That somehow or another, if I was making eleven fifty, everything would be okay. <laughs> but... You got to wonder, Lou. You got to wonder how these people do the math. Well, so so from the from the perspective of the of the employer, is this a harder job? What what am I paying for? I'm paying for, you know, I'm not paying for the kind of skill that I used to have to pay for operating a mechanical cash register, because that was functionally the equivalent of a high speed typing operation. Oh yeah, without a doubt. And and so and so I was paying I was paying for that skill. I'm not paying for that skill anymore because it, this is a less skilled job. You don't have to do anything except point the barcode at the at the laser reader. But it also and means so, but it also means that the amount of of stuff you're checking out without anybody stealing it and make sure it's all done correctly, that's a job too. It is, it is, but you were paying for that before, right? So, so you know, the question is, uh, from the employer's perspective, and I, 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 I'm with you on this. I get it. You know, how are we measuring? You're measuring productivity versus your your skill set, right? If if the job can be done by somebody who who I don't have to train, then then that job is worth less than Correct. a job Correct. which I have to train somebody for. 
And so I'm sure the employer looks at it from that, from that, at least in part, uh, from that perspective. Um, I, I, you know, this, this is the, the automation concept is something that you're going to see in the fast, I mean, in the fast food world because places like Chicago and Denver and New York and LA and San Francisco are driving these franchise fast food operations basically out of business with labor cost, with mandated labor cost. And, and so the, the skill set for, you know, being a, being a worker at these places is getting less and less and less because the food preparation is, is being automated. And so a, a McDonald's now, I, I was in a, one of the automated McDonald's in, in London, um, had, as far as I could tell, <clears throat> two people working a restaurant during the breakfast rush hour. So there were maybe 30 people inside the restaurant, <clears throat> but we're all at, we're all at individual kiosks. We touch in our order and, and it gets sent to the, to the, you know, and I mean the, and the order is the touch screen is, you know, so specific that you could specify, you know, I want hot sauce on my, on my burrito or I don't. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. want, you know, this in the burrito or I don't. You could specify all of that on the touch, on the touch screen. And then, and then the food preparation was, as best I could tell, almost fully automated. And you walked, you, you just walked up to the counter and there was, there was somebody at the counter whose main job was to hand you a bag. Yep. You know, cause you'd already paid, you paid at the kiosk. And, and, you know, from, they're serving, they're serving probably four times as many people per hour, like your cashier four times as many people per hour as they were when you had the place fully staffed but but from a from a an employer's perspective what are you paying for i don't know if you're paying for somebody a bag i'm not so sure you're you're that much faster uh but maybe you are i decided it's sort of hard to some of that stuff you you really have to do a a, i think a lot of it has to do with people having first of all the but the thing of it is loop was that efficient the price would be coming down they're going up well, that that's reflected by price of in, of ingredients in in large part. Yeah, it's but it's, yeah, it's, but yeah, but price of price of of labor's down. I mean, I mean, and and that's that's what's uh, that's what's going to happen. Those jobs, those fast food jobs, the entry level positions that we we talk about that are so necessary to train unskilled labor on things like showing up on time, wearing your uniform properly, dealing with customers appropriately. Um, cleaning, you know, keeping a place clean. Um, all of those skill sets that we rely on these low paid jobs to, to sort of develop, um, are, are gonna, are gonna have to find some other place to be, uh, to be instilled because, because those jobs, especially in the big cities, those jobs are gonna go away. Well, it's not worth, it's not worth $15 an hour, uh, for me to, to hire, you know, a, a fry cook. Well, I'll tell you what, it's a, the, the prices that have gone up in the last, I'm going to say, Lou, I mean, it depends, depends on how you look. I mean, obviously, if you can cut somebody out, it's, it's not a bad thing if, if, you don't, if you don't piss off your, your customer. But I'm going to say that the, the cost of a fry cook has gone up from $10 to 18 in the last three years, and I'm going to say probably in the last 10 years. And in, and in the last ten years, the cost of whatever you're ordering has tripled. I agree. So I mean, I we're not. I mean, I we're not. Right. 
mean, we're, we're not even, we're not really. And you and, and, you and I have had this conversation. Yeah. yeah. The fastest place for any business, any business, the fastest place for them to cut costs is labor. That's why the layoffs are yeah. starting. Do you want to hear a cautionary, you want to hear a cautionary employment lawyer tale? Yeah, but I, I we have uh, eight minutes. Can you give me a quick spin? Because we're probably going to cover it some with Kevin tomorrow. Were you a little surprised that five of the top ten NBA draft picks came from that, whatever that that place in Atlanta? And, and were you somewhat stunned, or you become an, uh, immune to it that the second round, the second pick in the draft was the guy who hauled the gun over to the murder? Um, yeah, I was, but but the NBA with regard to the second question, yes, I was surprised at that, but the NBA tolerates bad characters to a much bigger degree than uh, the NFL or Major League Baseball. And I, I, I think, I don't know why that is, except that it's, you know, it's a player's league. They, they but, think, they think yeah, that's their clientele. Huh? I was surprised to see yeah. that. They think that's well, their yeah, clientele. Of course, of course yeah. it's, of course it's the clientele. It's, you know, it, it excuse me, it, it's, it's the idea that our customers aren't aren't offended by by guys you know waving guns around or or getting involved in you know quasi criminal enterprises, and if that doesn't bother your customer base, then then you know why should why should you be bothered about it, except to the extent that you know you, you don't want you don't want that infecting the organ you know your your actual club, and so you have to take steps on that. But you know I, I mean, what's his face? And I and I, I confess, except for the playoffs, I don't follow the NBA that much, which is amazing given where I live in Denver, where they, yeah. they just won the championship. But you know, Denver won the championship with players that were not dramatic. You know, they they they've been they've been very careful here, I think, to keep a certain element or try to keep a certain element out of here with respect to the the people that they they surround Jokic yeah, and uh, Murray with, you know, those, those guys, those guys are, are exactly what you would want with, with a teammate. And, and as an organization, they, they, they say the right things. They, they are not flashy. They, they do a fantastic job on the court. They like each other and, and they're not, you know, you don't have, you don't have some guy who's constantly walking around saying, look at me. Um, so, I, short answer is it didn't it didn't surprise me. Um, the other question, I mean, you know, we used to we used to operate under this kind of assumption that that we could take one and done players, and and or, or guys right out of high school, and plug them into the system, and and it was a it was a a good economic choice, especially with guaranteed contracts. I I think that's changing. I think right now that that clubs are looking for guys who have matured, and whether they've matured in college, or whether they've matured in you know the G League or the D League, or whether they've matured in Europe, um, I, I think I think clubs are looking for that kind of player, and sort of an understanding that uh, to quote uh, excuse me to quote Mr. Barkley, who I really like as a basketball commentator. Um, you know, you're looking for guys who understand that basketball is a team game. I I, I watched his commentary on uh, during the the finals, 
and what he was saying about Jokic. And, and people were talking about what an unathletic guy Jokic was and how he didn't really look like a, like a star player. And yet when you put him in there, everybody's game goes up. And Barkley was saying, that's because Jokic knows how to play basketball. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's a team, he's a team player. Well, this he idea plays. that, this idea that you, you, you look at a, I don't know what the hell. You, you look at a, a, a white guy that doesn't have def, a, a seriously defined musculature, and you say he can't be somewhat of an athlete. That's such a crack, Lou. The guy's strong as an axe. He's fast as can be. I, 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 I had coordination. I bet he's good at ping pong. I bet he's good at everything. I wouldn't short that guy in a second. The other people seem to. I don't know why. Well, I mean, the, the joke the joke I heard from one of the, again, when, during one of Barkley's commentaries, the guy said one of the other um, – Commentators who was an ex-player said, "You know, he's he's deceptive. He can't jump over a dollar bill." <laughs> well, <laughs> which I, I thought was a great line. But but you know, who's the who? Is anybody going to say that Tom Brady is was was the greatest athlete to ever play pro football? But, but the thing no. of it is, they're they're way better than you think. I mean, just uh, they, everybody's are, got they this... are better. They are better than you think. But their their athletic ability is not a physically. You don't, it's not a they physically look, imposing ability. They don't. They don't look like it. But who was the guy that was was uh, uh, the the Bears' second string quarterback for a long time? The guy from Ohio State when when McMahon was there. Uh, what the hell was his name? He was a little little too short. He maybe six one. Came from Ohio State. He's a good guy. Uh, he was a second string dude for a while, and then he went somewhere else. I mean, the, the guy. He looked like he was a six two regular guy. He'd walk by in the street. He, he won the NFL dip contest. He did like eighty dips. Well, you know, I mean, so I say, no, pro- no, you can't I, short these guys. I mean, you just can't. No, well, but and and yet, I was at the Pro Bowl in uh, in uh, Honolulu in, I guess eighty nine was when I was there because uh, the Viking staff were coaching, <clears throat> and you know, Joe Montana walked by, and I mean, I I I, I looked at him and I thought. Wow, you would never pick him out as a pro football player. No, ever out of a lineup. Um, Brady, Brady, Brady looks. You know, Brady's cut and he looks like a looks like a pro football player. He's never. He was never the best athlete out there. I'm saying I, I, I'm reading I'm, what I'm doing is John Madden. I read something he wrote once. And he says first time he was a Pro Bowl coach, he went there and he couldn't believe it. There, there'd be a guy who was so chiseled he looked like he belonged in a Miss Universe thing, and the guy next to him. Mr. Universe, and the guy next to him, uh, you know, just kind of a big, bulky dude. And you know what? You says you can't tell. I mean, it was a guy at Notre Dame. He, heard it, he was famous for before Sports Illustrated jinx because he was starting as a freshman. Yes, yes, uh, Steve, I know you're talking Steve about. Steve Niehaus. Well, kind of a big, kind of bulky guy. Looked pretty strong. Lou, I was watching the guy. One night he was shooting pool at Nicky's, you know, in the bar. I'm walking the guy, seeing the guy walk around the table. He looked just like... Uh, remember when and Eddie Felsen said about uh, Minnesota Fats, Jackie Gleason? Look at him. He walks around the table like he's a ballet dancer. The guy was yeah. so light on his feet, he, he just walked different than other people. He was so quick. And, you know, for a guy that you would never guess until you saw him do something, he was like Alex Karras. Chief, you know? Chief, yes, that's who exactly what I was going to mention. Yeah. Or, personal experience, Ed White, the NFL, the NFL arm wrestling championship champion for like five years in a row. I mean, again... The, the stories about Ed as a rookie, this kind of, and I, I mean, Ed did not look athletic. He looked, he looked, 
kind of kind of dumpy at, at some, in some stages of his career. But you know, he ran. I think he ran like a. He was like I don't know what six two, six two and a half, two seventy, two seventy five, and he ran. Uh, I think a four eight forty. I mean, I remember running running with him in drills uh, at the Viking training camp, and you know, and I was a I was a high school player, but I didn't I wasn't wearing pads. It was in full equipment, and and he had no trouble outrunning me. I mean, I mean, and 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 outrunning a lot of people. Um, so, you, but but you can't. I mean, this, the, again, our concept of what is athletic. You know, it has always been sort of limited to the guys who look like they, as you said, Mr. Universe or, or the, you know, the chiseled muscle type. But, but Barkley made this point. Athletic ability is not just strength. It's not just, you know, jumping ability or whatever. It's hands. It's, 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 it's also, peripheral it, vision. It's yeah, hands. Peripheral it's vision. It's the ability to see the court. It's the ability to see the field. It's the ability to make decisions quickly. All of that tracks in. I mean that the what's his face from San Francisco, Purdy, who is my my well favorite football player right now. You know, Mister Irrelevant. Except that when he steps onto a football field, he knows the offense almost as well as the offensive coordinator, and he executes better than anybody they had in that position. So, you know, and I think that was Brady's secret too. Well, you know, they, just they call a, it what's the new term? Baseball IQ is the guys. There's a pushback now against all the stats. He's got a right. baseball IQ. He, he instinctively knows kind of where we had a real quick. I'm gonna let you go get to Russell here, but we had a guy on our uh, softball team. He was actually Dr. J's uh, net, uh, cousin, Danny McCollar. We had a we had a really good team this one year. We had Danny and a couple other guys. A guy who played tackle for Illinois, big fast guy. God bless. Uh, and we we won this league out in Oglon in a, a fall league, which was really a lot of really good teams. I mean, not the best, but pretty good teams. They didn't know where we came from, but if I'm pitching, if I if when a guy hit the ball, I couldn't turn around fast enough where Danny wasn't already in, at full speed going right where the ball was going to go. I mean, the instincts were like like the guy I I I couldn't turn around have have him like looking to see above the lights or whatever. He instinctively knew where the thing was going to go. He used to try out for the Twins every year, and one year he almost made it, uh, assigned to a minor league team. Then he went to play minor league ball, but. Some people just have an amazing skill set that people who don't play sports don't even realize how good these guys are, or they wouldn't be well, there. Well, you know, yeah, and 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 you know, you know, Tom, that that's the result of a lot of evolution and looking at you know chasing down game and throwing uh, throwing projectiles and things like that. Well, uh, SP futures up now. We're down nine. Nasdaq futures down sixty three. We're actually leaking. I thought we'd be coming back here. We might still, but uh, we're, as of now, we're leaking a little bit. Lou, thank you on a Wednesday. Greg gets, gets to hear you. He's all happy to hear you. Uh, drive Definitely. safe Good tomorrow. To you. Drive safe tomorrow, and we'll talk at you uh, next Thursday. Because we don't have no show, no, shoot, no show on Tuesday. We'll be right back with Professor Russell Rhodes. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 
treatment. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% mm -hmm. of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. What? What? Hello, everyone. Back stocks and jocks. I'm Tom Owl. Greg Pappas on the board. SP futures down 10. NASDAQ futures down 68. I just got this flash on the Indianapolis police blotter. Professor arrested at Costco using wife's card trying to buy four cardigan sweaters. Oh, God. I haven't been to Costco probably since from before COVID. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of lost. I don't go there that much anymore either. It's a, yeah, we all have cards there and Sam's. I, I've been in Sam's a couple of times. I mean, it's, they're, they're kind of, they're, they're so different. It's scary. It's, I mean, they, well, oh, yeah. I mean, they're not, yeah. they have all the same stuff in, in a sense that you can mm -hmm. get the same. But in terms of uh, Sam's really started out, I'm going to say, what, what do you think when they first started, Russell? Uh, I'm going to say at least 40% of their business was to other businesses. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I um, I have some friends from college who own some restaurants, and they go to Sam's. For, I mean, that's where all their stuff came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a you know, a lot of that. I didn't realize that, but because they would, they so would, yes, uh, it, yeah, they wouldn't charge you tax if you had the business uh thing. So exactly, you, yeah, exactly. But, uh, so how so, are you, how are you? What are you? Uh, what, what? I'm totally fine. I'm enjoying the summer of it. Are you? You're. Uh, how many? How much teaching are you doing during the summer? I'm teaching two different derivative classes in two different programs out of two different books, uh, which probably doesn't sound like a whole lot, but it can get very confusing because every book uses their own little terminology. Uh, why? And, why are you not yeah. using the same book? Is or is it? Um, just different programs and and the required text for the different classes was different, and I don't have much of a say over it. Who does? Who, how does that, yeah. who makes that call? Uh, I don't know. Somebody else in the business department. <laughs> so somebody buried the balls. Of play. I'm, I'm just you know li in, in, living in the house that I'm living in. I'm beaten down so much that I just do what you know I'm told. Well, it's a uh... you know I just I just go along. They, they say you got to teach you got to teach uh, risk management and derivatives, and here's the textbook you have to use for that class. I say okay. Remember the, the massive scandals back in, in my era about all the kickbacks on all these books? I, I assume that's been cleaned up, but I don't know. Uh, but didn't they used to have all kinds of kickback stories on that back in the 70s and 80s? 
Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure, you know, because, uh, goodness gracious, I wish I had written a textbook. Yeah. Yeah, cause, because they're all two to three hundred bucks now. So, yeah, I'm sure that, that, that you just got to follow the money. Yeah. And, you know, back at, like back then, even, you know, textbooks were a lot, cost a lot more than other kinds of books. And I'm sure being a book rep for one of the textbook companies, you did quite well if you got them to adopt your book somewhere because it's almost like a recurring revenue stream. Well, plus they would fill out a new edition. It becomes too much of a... Well, it's too much of a pain in the butt to change books. Well, plus they would. Ch- well, they they always change books. There was an edition. I mean, oh, if yeah. it wasn't every well, year, I'm it was using, every other year. Yeah. Well, I'm using the sixth edition on one book and the eleventh on another. Um, I I don't. I might I have thrown. I might have thrown it out, Russell, because I I got a D of the class, my only D ever. Uh, University of Chicago. Well, there they they wouldn't. Uh, some classes had textbooks, but most of them didn't. Most of them just were a compilation of uh, of papers of all these people from various, you know, things had done over the years on that topic. So you get this massive, what do you call the brown envelope, with probably uh-huh. 40 papers in there, you know, of, of various stuff. Uh, that's where I, I read the stuff from Ronald Coase regarding uh, externalities. That was his famous paper. And all these papers that people wrote, and they would have that kind of stuff but one of the books I foolishly took this class uh, Integer Programming and Network Flows even know what the hell that is because I don't, I don't know if anybody knows what that even means um, that doesn't that, that, that didn't even sound like a class they would have had back in your day uh, there were me and there were probably eight people in the PhD program that already were hired by mobile and places like that it was uh-huh. it was uh, there was regression analysis there was Quadratic programming, and this was this was the real high end of stuff that airlines use and everything. And the, the, the mathematics is is when it say it's high end, it's not like it's calculus or anything. But uh, mm-hmm. we have to do all these maximum minimum problems, having to do with scheduling and things like that. But most scheduling is easy easier because it doesn't matter. You can bring a half a truck, but you can't show up with half a pilot. So all all the all the solutions <laughs> yeah. had to be in, inter, in integers. That's why they call it integer programming. But the book was by far the most expensive book I ever bought at the place. At the time, it was like fifty bucks, which was huge. The book couldn't have been bigger than a Hardy Boys book. It couldn't have been. But the thing was just jammed with nothing but formulas. There wasn't like hardly any words in the thing. I looked at it and I go, I think I'm in the wrong class, and I was. And we didn't. We couldn't solve a problem the whole quarter because. Every this actual solving of a problem was beyond the scope of the course. You needed massive computers and stuff. They would do stuff. We would do. We would chart stuff. One of the one of the toughest problems for years. People could not solve it, and now I think it's somewhat solvable. Was this was the salesman coloring problem? You know what that is? No. It's if all of a sudden you are you or Greg or me say we sell sports equipment. And we we, build it, we live in the middle of Michigan, and we've got to go visit twelve high schools today to try and figure out the route, which which one we should see first, second, third, fourth, fifth, for the minimize the mileage and minimize the time and minimize the gasoline. That's one of the most difficult problems in all of math because there's there's no formula for it. No, there's no formula for it. Yeah, you basically have to run a. Uh, I have read about this before. Um, you basically have to run an analysis that goes through all the different possibilities from point A to point B, et cetera. Yep. And 
Yeah. You may have you may have had been able to write the formula out, but they didn't give you computing time to solve it. Right, but but it's all because you have to go to one place, then another, and then you got to pivot back another way. You got to keep going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth to you to maximize the thing. Mm-hmm. And, and but I mean that was way beyond my my level. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. even, even the test we couldn't solve anything. All we did was was set up the the formula to fix it. I, I, whatever. Anyway, it was a bad idea, but the book was like 50 bucks in 1975, so you can imagine my how appalled I was at that. Anyway. Oh, I yeah, I I feel bad. I try I try my hardest to uh come up with a book that's not over the top ridiculously expensive. And um and now you can you don't have to buy the $300 book. You can pay I think you can pay 9.99 a month. And have a subscription to the book while you're taking the class. Really? Yeah. Well, because you can never sell yeah, the damn my bu- things. My books are all my books are all online. Because the next year uh, there always be a totally different color. They changed, mm-hmm. you know, a few uh, a few of the answers or a few of the questions. At the end of the chapter was ninety percent the same way, but nobody would show up with last year's book. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was just you know you were really down, you were frowned upon. Everybody got new ones every year, and you. Uh, what, yeah. what, what they used to do with the other? I hope they recycled the stuff at least. I mean. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure they're in a giant pit in the middle of Arizona somewhere. Uh, wouldn't be a bit. So, what's a what's yeah. a topic du jour? What what do you what do you make of? Uh, I was uh, waiting, you know, for Lou to go through our stuff. We always usually talk about what is your opinion? Because I was uh, well, two two major questions for the the professor is Carl and I are having a massive debate regarding where the Fed should go from here, um, and we we've ensnared. Uh, Hal Snar into it yesterday, and he didn't really give us a a huge one way or the other because I think he's kind of in the middle of both of us. Um, the the big basically bitch we're having is that and uh, and not not a personal argument. Never do that with Carl. Uh, is the state we find ourselves now with this huge amount of money in the system, where one one part of the the group is seemingly going someplace, and if you look. In one direction, there's no recession anywhere. Never going to be. Stocks are going up. Every every high-end restaurant's full. Planes are full. You name it. And on the other side of the coin, every place I go, I mean, I see less and less people in some of these places. I see places charging at three and a half percent for credit cards in, a, in, a, in an attempt to keep the prices on the menu down so somebody will show up. Um, I see restaurants that used to have an after after movie crowd. Nobody has that crowd anymore. I see a lot of stuff, and I see individual people tell me, in the last five years, I've got to raise, you know, fifteen percent, and the prices are up thirty. You know, I'm, I'm way worse off than I was. You see what's happening in a housing situation, and Nancy was on Monday talking about how if you buy a house now, that have somehow managed to maintain the price or even gone up a little bit in the last couple of years, with the difference in mortgage rates, the mortgage double what it was four years ago. I mean, there's this massive strain in one area. And, and not so much any other. And, and Carl is convinced that you need to do a a Volcker and you need to fix this and you need to drain some money out of the system. You actually have to attack the the bubble or you're going to lose 75% of your of the country. And 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 eventually they're going to get so pissed off, you know, it might not even be an election, it might be something else. Um I I'm I I feel out on this. I know from a monetary standpoint He's probably correct on what the quote fix is, but I'm so I won't, I won't say the impressed, appalled, impressed, the same thing, 
with how much of this increases in price have become locked in with your your utility companies, your taxes, your things like that. And I think if you try and go back the other way and drag the money out, I think you're going to screw the same people you screwed on the way up. I honestly don't know what the answer is here. Do you, do you have a, a suggestion? I mean, I, I, mean, I, I think, and then Hal's point was, the, the SEC has screwed up so everything so bad, you can't even read the numbers. You don't know if you're on foot or horseback. He doesn't know what the solution is. So there, there's the three opinions coming at you. Where do you, where do you land on this? Uh, I, I feel like it'd be, it, it'll just, they'll, they'll get back on track to where they were before, before and with, when I say before, before the regional banking crisis, which it really wasn't a crisis. But um, I feel like we'll get back on track with that, and they'll just slowly but surely uh, take some money out of the system, but do it slow enough that it doesn't completely blow up the economy. I like to believe that that's what's going to happen. Well, I mean, they... They they but, doubled they doubled you know, they, it and they were on I mean they were I know and they doubled it on the way up and it's it's going to be a long process uh, to bring it down to bring it down to a reasonable level you know we jumped up in six months or whatever it might take ten years to get back um, but we should be tar- we should be targeting that but do you think they are I mean they they with the with the crisis and the whatever no was, I don't one. I think I don't think I don't think they're thinking long term. I mean, it's become very obvious that um, that that you know the you know behavioral finance. If you're a long-term investor, probably, and and you say you want to be a long-term investor, uh, the behavioral aspects of that can be very difficult. You can you know you're you're going to have thirty to forty percent of days where you lose money if you're paying close attention to it, uh, and if you pay too much attention to it, you start to make ge- knee-jerk decisions which end up more often than not being bad for you for the long term. I, I feel like the Fed behaves like that. Like they know what they should be doing for the long term, but it, it, even a small you know, short term issue like a couple of pretty good sized regional banks, but you know, not it's not Citigroup going out of business, um, suddenly reversing everything you've done for a few months based on you know, a couple of badly managed banks, which were idiosyncratic risk and not systematic risk. Right. Um, that, yeah, that that that's what really worries me about these guys. And I do think you you said, do you think they're they're thinking like that? I think they are thinking like that. Um, I don't think they're acting like they think. Well, uh, the engineers you know, like they, they have intentions, but they can't get it out of their own way. Um, what do you make of a? Uh, Danjanitas' take on it. Now, the numbers we're talking about, I'm looking at not a money supply, I'm looking at a balance sheet, which mimics the money supply. We went mm-hmm. from $4.3 trillion in March of 2020, right before COVID, to essentially 8.96, so say say 9. So we essentially over-doubled it. We went up like 110% in, uh, let's say, two years. In the year and almost a half now since then, we're down seven percent. So it's not like they're hustling. Um, and uh, but Dan Dan's interesting view of it is, you know, what, I, I I think he's probably somewhat right, uh, Russell. I mean, Dan's right a lot. Uh, he says the Fed is is real happy with even though people are screwed they seem to resign be, be resigned to it there's not going to be a revolution that somehow they've bent over and said thank you sir i had another and the 
the paddling has stopped. Your ass still hurts, but you're you're not you're not revolting. You're not you're not getting a gun. You're it's he goes the, the, the people somehow are happy with the new contracts that say you're going to get a three percent raise for the for the last five years. So fifteen percent total, and the prices are up thirty five. Everybody's resigned themselves. You think, to it. you think people are happy? I didn't say they're happy. I said they're not, yeah, they're, they're, they're they're resigned. There's a difference. They're resigned to it. Yeah, I don't think people are particularly happy. No, but they're I, not. They're I not going to. I, I do think there's a a big, you know, what the hell can I do about the you know yeah hopelessness. There, there's definitely a lot of hopelessness out there. But we're not talking about yeah. from from the political side of it. As we jump back and forth from economics to politics, which is almost the same subject, sometimes we haven't seen uh, people buying sandwich signs walking up and down the street. We haven't seen any kind of move towards a third party. We haven't seen anybody, you know, have a march on Washington with guns. We, I mean, it, it, from the political standpoint, let people bitch. It hasn't affected me at all, right? I mean, it, there's, yeah, there's well, no, and, and 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 we seem to be distracted by other stuff on purpose, maybe. Yeah, there might be a bit of that. Where they're trying to get us to look in a different direction, uh, which is interesting and a cool segue. Um, are you going to see Biden's speech in Chicago today? Uh, no, but I'm sure I've already been reading parts of it. And he, first of all, the man has even when he was in Congress, doesn't even not only doesn't know, has no idea or want to know anything about monetary theory. He's convinced if you just keep pouring money into the place that your investment. Is going to uh, be a, so accretive uh, in the long run that it actually is an investment, and seemingly clueless of the people who steal money along the way and how much of it actually gets to. I'm going to say, Russell, that in our in our lifetime, well, some of it's before our lifetime, uh, there have been very accretive public works projects. I'm going to say uh, maybe the the canal here in Chicago. Which yeah, can, which, Hoover Dam. Hoover Dam. I'm going to say the Golden yeah. Gate Bridge. I mean, clearly, the tunnels in New York. Uh, there have been Tennessee Valley Authority. Maybe there have yeah. been things, but you know, every one of those things was amazingly well. When I say well managed, every one of them came in under budget, didn't they? I mean, every one of them was, and everyone oh, had. I, I, but I mean, the Golden Gate Bridge with tolls has paid itself off probably ten times. Same way the, the tunnels under New York. I mean, the, the electricity, Boomer Dam has paid for it, right? Tennessee Valley Authority, same way. So, I mean, there, were, there have been public works projects, but this blasting out massive amounts of cash to people where it gets nailed by companies, political organizers, community organizers. It's like, you know, the Johnson's, uh, you, you were probably a little too young, but... Johnson's War on Poverty. I remember at the time, I forget, it was some Republican dude, and he said, you know, if you want to do this, just divide the amount of money we're spending by the amount of poor people and send them a check, and we won't have any poor people. And, <laughs> and you know, and, and, it, and it was, that mentality was, uh, did you ever do any research, or did anybody even talk about uh, it anymore? Did anybody... It actually was a, a very well, when I say well written out, it was a fully formed program, Nixon's uh, negative income tax. Did you ever do any study on that? No, no. If you, if you can find it, since you love to know all things and know pretty much of everything. I want, I want to know it all. Yeah, I mean, I, it was um, sort of amazingly well put together. Now, it's fraught with moral hazard. It's fraught, it, it, was, it was the 
the absolute mirror reflex reaction to the Johnson's war on poverty. We're going to have program after program after program, and, and what percentage of it actually made it down to the person who was hungry, we're not going to care about. And everybody's got his thumb in it all along the way. Where Nixon's, I mean, I, just from memory, it was done in such a way where if you didn't do anything, if you just sat on your ass on the couch and drank beer, let's say you got a check for two grand. You know, we don't, we don't care what you're doing. We know you're an idiot, but you know what? Rather than have 15 programs trying to get to you, here's a check. Uh, it's enough to eat. It's enough for, you know, modest, probably, you know, ridiculous rent with four roomies or whatever, but it was something. But it was designed in such a way that if you went out and worked one day a week, you didn't lose all the other. You gained a little bit. So it was still worth it to you if somebody, if you, to go help your brother-in-law put up a deck and get $100 for the day and actually declare it, you got to keep 80 of it or something. You know, mm-hmm. and only and the rest. So it was designed in such a way to incentivize people, but have nobody in the middle, just just you and the IRS. And I don't know if it would have worked or not. I I thought it was clearly a, a a reaction to and an alternative way of looking at things than the Johnson stuff and the Biden stuff. We're going to have these massive programs. We're going to have everybody have the internet. Well, how much are you going to pay for the internet? Well, I don't know. You know. And this morning, they're talking about doing something with 111th Street, which is my hood. $9 million. Well, for a new sidewalk? I mean, how many people are involved in this? Uh, how many people want to walk on that? Uh, never mind. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, I... Not exactly a pedestrian street. Well, I mean, uh, there's a lot of old stores there and, and stuff. It's, it's, it's kind of one of those still old neighborhood kind of streets with a lot of old uh-huh. stores along the way. Uh, but I'm saying there, there is this yin and the yang about how you do this. And how many people yeah. are in the middle? And Biden loves people in the middle. Don't, oh, don't, yeah. I mean, I, I just don't know the rest of us can pay for it. And then when you lie to yourself no, saying, and, you know, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you said you've read the speech. Exactly what, and, and I feel like we've been focused on, that, that we've been focused on some really divisive and really goofy kind of issues with the Bud Light and all that other kind of stuff. And I almost feel like this is Biden's attempt at changing, you know, just changing the story to what they think is the most positive thing going, which is the economy. Well, the, he's going he's to get reelected. What's he going to get reelected on? Well, the, the, sit around a table trying to figure it out, and they're, you know, they, he can't get reelected on bringing us all back together because that, that's just not happening. I think the not only way it's, I think it's, the only way it's his fault. The only way he gets reelected is if Republicans are foolish enough to run Trump against him. Yeah, I mean, well, but I'm, 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 thinking, I'm, I'm thinking about some of the other Republicans, and I'm just like, yeah, no, I'm not in love with any of them. But, but I think the, but I, the, I, the economics, yeah. the economics, it's actually very simple to explain, sort of like the Republican side. Neither one of them are very well thought out, but the the economics is we make these massive investments call it infrastructure, that in our estimate is going to pay us back in spades uh, over the long run. We're going we're to put internet in a, in a community. That means that people there are going to up their income over the next 10 years by 40%, more than they would have otherwise. And oh, by the way, the tax rec- receipts on that are going to be so high that this, that this program will actually pay for itself, even though in the meantime we're essentially printing money to do it. That somehow it will pay for itself, and oh, yeah. and, and and oh by the way we're going to 
raise taxes on corporations to pay for some of it in the short term until the the incredible the Hoover Dam being done starts paying us back in spades ten years from now, which is basically the the flip side of the same stupid argument of the Russian or the Russians the Republicans, where they're saying we're gonna we're gonna cut taxes. And that's going to make people so much more efficient that 10 years from now we're actually going to get more tax revenue. Okay, I guess, you know, that, that, that dog doesn't hunt either, I don't think. But maybe to a certain extent, well, if you cut it from 90% to 50, yeah, but to cut it from 30 to 25, eh, I, I don't know about that one, Russell. But, but, but So I'm saying both sides have this idea that their ideas are so good, none of it passes mustard tomorrow in terms of uh, being equal uh, income versus expenditure, I don't think. It's all this promise that 10 years from now stuff, and when it doesn't work out, that's why we find ourselves where we are, in one man's Yeah, and when, it, and when it doesn't work out, it it's not like anybody's been held accountable whatsoever. It's so far in, you know, when a decision was made, it's so far in history that nobody really even remembers who's, who's you know, whose idea something was. Well, the people who got the money, now they're talking $200 billion in, uh, and fraud in the PPP stuff and the other places. I mean, yeah. What do you, I mean, what do you what do you think, Russell? If you oh, you and, know, I, and I'm not shocked at that one at all. No, no, uh, no. I mean, I, I think I told you I had a student that like created a website and said he was a financial consultant and tried to get PPP money. Did he? I don't. I don't know. I really don't know if it worked for him. Well, or you not. can just go down the, the parts in Illinois, and there's all these. Alleged churches, whatever you want to call them, and mm-hmm. it, they everybody gets a big chunk of money. And uh, how many employees do they have six months later? Zero. You know, even, even the airlines. How much money do United Airlines get to keep everybody on payroll? And in fact, they force people to retire and fire people. And when they, when they started back up yeah. again, they didn't have enough people. Well, how do you how do you have enough people? You're supposed to be paying them. We just gave you the money. I mean, yeah, I, they're they're having to they're having to lower the standards for uh, pilots, aren't they? Uh, down I to think, where you, I think South I think Southwest is. Well, they're also uh, trying to raise the retirement age of sixty-seven, which probably makes some sense if you're in good shape. Yeah, no, they're uh, you're yeah you remember the guy that uh, Sullenberg did that landed the plane in the Hudson? He was he was forced to retire like six months later. Yeah. yeah well, and, I, and that was the guy that that was the guy. I think I think if it had happened six months later on his first day of retirement. He still would have been the guy that we would want to, you know, I, I guess behind the wheel is what you say. Yeah, well, I think, you know, you have to, uh, you know, things can sort of degrade. One of my, uh, oh, my, my uh, Audrey's, uh, her cousin is, is, well, her boyfriend is a pilot, a guy from United, but he's he's like 70, but he had ear de- degradation to the point where he can't even fly now. So, I mean, you gotta be you got to be careful when you're 65 that you're okay. I mean, some people are, some people aren't. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, just to, to yeah. wing some wing somebody uh, out the door that seems perfectly fine tomorrow is kind of crazy. I mean, certainly, yeah. you know, I mean, it's yeah. kind of nuts. But you don't want to wing out professors at sixty-five, do you? Uh, gosh, no. But may, maybe at eighty. Well, it depends. On, just remember, Russell. Everybody who's ten years older than you is old at any age. Yep. When you're eighty, yes, they are. when you're eighty, we should wing out the guys at ninety. <laughs> Roll them out. Roll them out. Um, so what? What do, what do you think that he's going to say tonight? When, when, if there is a Bidenomics, do you think I'm wrong? No, gosh, no, not at all. I, I just, 
I'm really trying to figure out exactly wh- what it is he thinks he can hang his hat on right now. Well, what do you... Yeah, or, or what, you know, what the... You know, maybe maybe he's being told, maybe, you know, maybe people that are smarter than you and I have decided that we're going to avoid a recession and, you know, we're going to, maybe the economy will be pretty good over the next 18 months or so, which would help get the man reelected. So that's, that's what they're trying to do here. But how can it but be? How I can... don't, I, I don't see the reason for this. This isn't like, you know, the economy is completely in the dumper, you know, like, I don't know, like late 70s, early 80s. It's not like we need this big call to action for the economy. I don't get it. They're trying to figure out how to get the man reelected. Anyway. Well, yeah. Well, I have a couple more serious questions for you. I, I, I store them up for you, I mean, which isn't, isn't nice for you, but I store them up for you. Uh, SP Futures down uh-huh. 7, NASDAQ Futures down 55. Mm-hmm. Be right back, Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it is time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Hello, and welcome back, Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tomo. We have Greg Pappas on the board. Uh, S&P futures are down 850. We've been leaking here all morning. I thought we'd come right back because we uh, usually have a big up day like yesterday. Maybe we're down a little bit, and then we we start grinding back up. But we're not doing so much grinding here. We're grinding the other way. S&P futures down 58. Still kind of pales in comparison with the rally yesterday. But uh, matter of fact, uh, yesterday just as a way of review, 
The Dow was up 212, S&P was up 49, and NASDAQ was up 219. So, as I mentioned earlier, this is kind of odd. Uh, Russell can opine on Monday, NASDAQ was down 170. Yesterday, it was up 219, and today we're down 60, so we're virtually exactly unchanged, which is really kind of crazy as, as much as it's been all over the place. Over in Europe, we've got a, a rally going here. Uh, they've had a losing streak going, but they were real flat the last couple of days, but it was a losing streak. Uh, these were, these guys were up a little more earlier, but now they're the DAX up 120. It's 0.8%. I think it was over 1% last time we did this an hour ago. What's the up 49.7%? Cac around up 59.8%. So definitely to the upside in Europe today. Uh, Nikkei up 655. Now they had been down. Uh, that's a full 2%. Hang Seng up 23.1%. Shanghai down 7 cents. Let's call that one unchanged. Bonds. Uh, these guys have been kind of in a rut here. Down three basis points, 3.73. The bun down six basis points, 2.30. Japan up one, 3.39. Uh, They've been right around there for weeks now. Oil down again, down 42 cents, 67.28. Brent down 44 cents, 71.82. Natural gas up six cents, 2.82. Arbob up a penny, 2.52. We've got gold, which is just getting whack, whack, whack. On another 7.60, 19.16. Silver down 15 cents, 22.81. They're both at a spot where the last few times they've been here, they've been a buy. That doesn't mean they are this time, but this is a way of uh, notification. Uh, Bitcoin down 400. It's 30,302. We have the U.S. dollar. Uh, actually, it's strengthening here. We've got against the euro. Euro is now down to 109.2, uh, and we're almost down, almost a full percent against the pound here. 1.26 from 1.27 yesterday morning. So, yeah, it's a big move in the dollar as of right now. Uh, what do you have for us, uh, Traffic Weather Sports? Good morning, everyone. Wednesday the 20th, 7.37 a.m. We've got Chicago 65 uh, with a 78-degree high. However, we do have unhealthy air quality and hazy skies due to the Canadian fires. Grab your N95s on the way out. Phoenix, 81 degrees right now, 107 high today. All sun, no rain. Let's see. If you use a little rain, boy, would it be a dirty rain on your car. Yeah. Traffic. We've got inbound Kennedy, Montrose to the interchange, 32 minutes. Inbound Eden's Dempster is another 30 minutes. Eisenhower, Wolf to the interchange is also, again, 30 minutes. Orion and the Orion to the interchange is 20 minutes, and the inbound Stevenson um, is 25 minutes. Sports, we got Phillies over the Cubs, 5-1. to one. Diamondbacks over the Rays, eight to four, and the White Sox lost to the Angels, two to four, with Shohei Otani being the first AL pitcher in 60 years to homer twice and strike out ten. Last player before Otani to hit at least two homers and strike oh, AL, out ten. AL wasn't the two guys I talked about then. Oops. It was uh, Pedro Ramos on July 31st, 1963. And that came in the nightcap of a doubleheader against the Angels. So how about that? Pedro Ramos, what team was he in? Um, he was... Um, well, I don't remember that name at all. Cleveland. Wow. Yeah. Then, so, then on the then tribe, now the uh, Guardians. Now the Guardians. That's all I got, Chief. Back to you. Jeez. Uh, Russell, I don't know if you, if you spot this one the other day and on CNBC. Lillian Rizzo. Uh, wrote this article, and we've quoted her before. Uh, when you talk about whether we're having a recession, not a recession, and I talk about individual people who over the last five years, two years, four years, ten years, have not kept pace with inflation, so in my mind, they're in a recession, if not depression. Uh, so she says, corporate defaults rose last month with 41 in the U.S. so far this year. 
That's more than double the same period last year. Companies are defaulting on their debt due to uncertain economic conditions, heavy debt loads. High interest rates have made it difficult to refinance as debt is more expensive. Number of bankruptcy filings in the U.S. this year have also sharply risen to levels not seen since uh, 2010. Um, I did a, you know, when, when you know, you know what else along those same lines has me a bit worried is season on a seasonal basis. After the Christmas season, uh, credit card debt tends to come down in the first quarter, and for the first time in a long, long time, it didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, 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 and I think that's anecdotal and, and complements what you just said, that it's, uh, you know. Well, I have a uh, piece of paper here that I can't find because I cleaned up, Russell, since you were here last. Um, and it was before the 2007-2008 fiasco, and since everybody knows my significant other is a successful and very, very good real estate person, knows her people, knows her mm-hmm. clientele, and plus everybody likes her, which makes it easier. Uh, we had this discussion, I'll say, and the piece of paper said that back when the housing, the median housing price was two thirty-five, uh, that in order to get in that house, this is interest rates right about they are now six and a half, uh, that you needed eighty-five thousand bucks to carry that mortgage, if somebody gave you the fifty grand down payment or you had fifty grand in the bank. So in other words, if you put twenty percent down at the then Insurance costs, then taxes, then mortgage. You need eighty-five grand to support the median house. Well, the problem is, at the time, only fifteen percent of the population made more than eighty-five grand. Now we're talking about the population, not dual family, you know, dual working families and stuff. And they went through a whole list of: if you worked in the food service, you barely made twenty. Right? This is 19, this is two thousand and seven. If you worked as a, a regular what does a regular schmo do in a cubicle downtown? I don't Regular schmo made 40, 45 grants. Just a regular somebody ordering stuff for catalogs or doing whatever you're doing. If you worked in a hospital in a management spot, not a doctor, you might have made 60. So basically, 85% of the population could not afford a median-sized house. And I showed this to Audrey, and I said, oh, you know, I think this is a problem. What do you mean? They're still selling. I, I get it. I mean, I, somehow people are making do, but it's it's an ominous sign. Well, now I'm going to say, Russell, since we're back up to six and a half percent on the mortgage, the ever, the median house price is now four ten something like that. So it's up. I won't say double. It's up seventy five percent, which means that probably you need a hundred and fifty grand to carry that place. After somebody gives you the eighty grand to put down, which is a big nut, I'm going to say what percentage of the population makes one hundred fifty grand? Eight, nine, ten percent? Yeah, I was going to say somewhere between five to ten. I'm, yeah, I, I mean, somewhere. I mean, somewhere in this mess, we've got, and, and you're talking about the credit card debt on top of everything else, not to mention the student loan debt. What do you think happens if if Powell comes up after Biden's big speech tonight? If Powell schedules a speech tomorrow morning and said, you know, I just got off the phone with the president and I said, you got this big spending plan. There's only three ways you can finance it. One is you tax people for it, which you don't seem to be willing to do. And I, by the way, I don't want to pay any more taxes and neither any of the listeners. Or, no. you, or, you borrow, <laughs> or you borrow it, which will really strain the hell out of your borrowing capacity. Trillion nine. Or I print it. And I just told you, I'm sitting this one out. I'm not printing it. I'm helping. I've been pe- helping people out it's, for five years. I, I'm not doing it anymore. These guys are convinced that whatever they spend, these guys will 
print. It, they will create the money. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. somehow, if we don't, when you're talking about a 40% down this year, but the federal deficit is, is 40, we're 40% in a hole, or 35, 40% in the hole of what we're spending this year, right? Just after COVID. How the hell, how do you expect the, the printing of money to continue to keep that pace up? So, I mean, I don't, I don't see how you're talking about these guys are going to keep sneaking back on the money supply. How do they do that if the president and Congress keep doing what they're doing? Unless they say no, and then I can't imagine what things are going to look like. Well, I mean, they, they're able to do Nobody's paying attention to it. You are. But <laughs> you're like, how are they able to do this? Well, they, they are able to do it because nobody's really, you know, they're, they're not really answering to anybody on, on that stuff. And that stuff, you know, the things that we talk about that, that are going on in Washington, D.C., you know, this sounds so elitist, but you know, 95% of people aren't focused on that. 95% of people are focused on, you know, making sure they got enough money to buy their kids shoes to go back to school. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and like you said before, maybe that's by design. Well, but, but, but these guys... But, but they're not, we're not paying attention, the average citizen is not paying attention to it. And the, the average person is likely, you know, their life is just okay. It's not horrible. Probably could be, you know, you probably could define it as horrible for a lot of people, but it's not horrible. And they've been, you know, the, I think our quality of life has been chipped away at. And it's kind of like the boiling frog, you know, the boiling pot with the frog. And we've reached this point where you know, if, if there's sticker shock. If you if you talk about buying a house, think about buying you just buying a car. Yeah, yeah. It's gotten ridiculous, and you know, you you, you well, Chicago's unusual. But I grew up in a city where you had to have a car. You couldn't. I, I just well, that's you know, that's ninety percent of the population. If you got a if you got a DUI in Memphis back when I was you know, like in high school and in college. You couldn't get anywhere unless somebody drove you. Yeah, I mean, so the, and and the, the car thing's—it's a big issue. It's because it's something that a lot of people have to have. Well, that's why I mean, it, it stuns me when uh, we have these issues, crime and whatever, in downtown Chicago, and, and people are are ready to, to throw the city away. I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> maybe. We got what three other places in the country: New York, Philadelphia, probably Boston, where a million people can get to work without driving. Oh yeah, name me and, and name yeah. any other place. I mean, if, if you if you ever want to get back, cut back on carbon emissions, if you ever want to get back on, you you can't throw away <laughs> this kind of infrastructure or let it or let no. it degrade. I no. mean, what is the matter with you? I mean, I yeah, and it's definitely degrading. Oh yeah, you know, I mean, we had a. Um, goodness gracious! We had a train in Montana. the The bridge just yeah crumbled under underneath it. And it doesn't, that didn't seem doesn't seem to be getting a whole ton of attention, but it seems like there's stuff like that going on all the time. And I thought, I thought they were fixing all of this stuff going back to the previous administration. Well, the uh, that's that'll be interesting to see what was happening there because the, the river was a little bit of a flood stage. Nobody seems to know he's out in the middle of nowhere. There's a here, here's a here's a job for us in our in our next life, Russell. We could be re-railers. You know who like re-railers are? 
No, but they're, I just assume that you're fixing you're fixing the railroad. Well, no, if if something derails, these guys go out uh-huh. and, and and figure out a way to either get the stuff back on the rail or get it out of there somehow. I mean, virtually, I'm going to say, what percentage of railroad in this country doesn't even have an access road? It goes through an area you, you can't get there. I mean, the, the, how are they going to get? Stuff they they're gonna have to. If something bad happens, yeah. how are they gonna get to it? I mean, yeah. this. I mean, this, this. There's. I don't think there's an access road by this bridge. It's gonna take these guys a while just to get out there and figure out what the hell happened. Oh yeah, and I didn't even think about that. About yeah. how rural it was. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I tell you what. I, one someday, if you've got nothing better to do for a couple of days, I wouldn't do it both ways. Take the city of New Orleans down to to uh, New Orleans. Hence the name. Well, city I've, New I've taken it to Memphis. But if you go all the way down, you go through some of the most. You're not going through the best parts of Jackson, Mississippi, and these places. I mean, the trains. No. And, and when you go through the swamps, there's the two tracks on this. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, and, and, um, I mean there's, there's dudes out there. When you build yourself a house, you get like five small trees, cut them down, or six, go out there, get on some platform boat, hammer them into the swamp when they're in hard enough. You put some cross braces on, build a cabin. That's your house, with a little with a little dock beneath you, and you're, you're good to go. Just you and the alligators, and the mosquitoes, and I mean, the trains are running right through this area. If, if you if you derailed there, it'd be a week before they found you, for God's sake. <laughs> you'd end up you'd you'd end up in the muck. Oh, without a doubt, for sure. But, yeah. anyway, but anyway, railers come out and, and do all that stuff. But they're going to try and figure out. I mean, I don't know how you're going to get how many how many train tracks do you think there are in. Uh, in Montana, there. This is probably there's probably two or three. Where are they, they going to send this probably, stuff? Yeah, there are probably just a, just a couple that you know go once probably goes northwest and one probably goes um, well, there's, little, goes southwest from there as well. Well, there's there's the Great Northern. I'll see if we see if we can name them. There's the Great Northern. <laughs> there's the Northern Pacific, right? Which is which you we, have a you have a map in your office. No, I don't. But you can cheat on that. Oh, I thought you did. Okay. Oh, well, look at the the, the Burlington yeah. Northern. Well, I do have a map, but I'm not huh. looking at it. Burlington Northern <laughs> was a combination of, of what? It was the Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy. The Great Northern, which goes through Glacier National Park. The Northern Pacific, which goes about 300 miles lower than that. And the Northwestern, I think, has a partial trail. There's only, there's only five railroads that go to the, go to the West Coast. Yeah, and I'm, I, actually, it looks like there's only one... Yeah, there's only one track in Montana. Yeah, oh yeah. There's, only, there's one track yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah, and uh, it's but it's you know and the, the bridge has been there for God knows how long and it it probably was over engineered at the time it's lasted a long time but just to go out and do some maintenance on that thing you, you got to bring like a hotel car out there you're out, you're, you're nowhere near anybody mm-hmm. it's a but I but you and I you just said you know we're the only ones that are kind of looking at this stuff but the degradation I mean Greg was the one Greg Pappas messed with my brain one day. He actually took out his. Uh, You're welcome. Yeah, with his phone, his stopwatch on his <laughs> phone, and he and I said, go to this. Uh, uh, was it debtclock.org? So he he times the thing. What'd you get, Greg? Forty-two seconds for a million bucks. In I the think hole? it was forty seconds. Yeah, forty seconds for a million bucks in the hole. I mean, somewhere, someplace. I, I it seems like people used to do in the 16th century and 17th century. The way you get out of debt is 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 devalue your currency. Right, because you pay people back with a lot with stuff. Well, that's yeah, and, and I've always felt like that was that that that's another long term solution to where we're at right now. Um, is is the debt can be cured a bit by inflating it away? 
Well, but what does that do to your your population? Where you just drag them? Oh, I in? know. No, I I I know the long term implications of what we're talking about here. Why um, Why the only yeah. two guys talking about smoking are you and me? And everybody else is worried about more important things like getting to work, or on TV worrying about uh, pumping um, up stocks. These these guys, or, or you know, or just worried about being called the wrong gender and things like that. So. Um, Call the wrong gender, yeah, yeah. It would be. I mean, all the all the the yeah. work stuff and everything else people are paying attention to. Um, I wanted to slip something in. Real Go ahead. Quick, you got, I, okay, found, you got, you I found really interesting over the weekend when we had a um, what are they calling it? And they're not call, they're not calling it a coup. Um, they're calling it a mutiny. mutiny. I think that's the word yeah. that I've seen a lot a lot of places. Um, one of the senior Russian officials. Uh, when when they were marching toward Moscow, apparently said something to the extent of, "This is why private non-governmental or this is why citizens not working for the government should not have guns." Um, I thought that was absolutely awesome. Or if you got a guy like Putin in charge, maybe it's the reason why you should have guns. Exactly. I, I mean, everybody should have an ability to defend themselves to a certain point. Um, but I just I thought it was really funny coming out of a you know an author just hearing the gun control thing from a government that we don't want to be like. Well, is like, a how I want to say it is who is it that once said uh, one man's terrorist another man's freedom fighter? Exactly. Depends, depends on what you believe. Yeah, it's a. Uh, no, Putin it, believes he's fighting giant evil corporations. He also is convinced that's who that, really that's who really controls everything in the U.S. Oh, uh, he's not so far wrong there. I know, I know. Um, one of these so. days, uh, when you're in, I'm, I'm, I keep threatening to do this. I'm gonna. I, I, I lost my copy. I think somewhere in my the flood in my parents' basement of uh, the sovereign state of ITT, and I want to I want to read the page about Harold Janine, who was the original. Uh, what do these call those things? Conglomerates. He was the original conglomerate guy. ITT mm-hmm. didn't they didn't they put the telegraph? Uh, they put the first telegraph in the Atlantic Ocean here to Europe, right? I believe it was them, International Telegraph. I, I've never had to use the telegraph to to talk to people. I, I know that's more of a way that you used to talk to people. I um, used to. But yeah, I think... <laughs> not, not me. <laughs> they, I, mean, the, the, I know. Yeah. Yes, they are They are the original. Um, and they you know. they ended up owning... They ended up owning like Avis too, didn't they? I mean, they, they owned all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's a they had all kinds. Of, yeah, that, there was what was like 60s, 70s, and 80s where uh, companies just, if they had money, they spent it on all kinds of things, which which didn't make any sense whatsoever. Well, they they had a uh, yeah. Um, by the way, do you ever talk about this in your client? I know you don't do a lot of uh, accounting stuff, but they used to have uh, the 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 goodwill. They used to take goodwill as profit. Remember. Uh huh. Oh yeah, we talk about that. I I don't, I don't do a very good job of describing goodwill. And I think it's just because I'm not. A, I don't have an accounting background. Uh well, what, what yeah, and I, I fully admit the things I'm not good at. Well, what it, I mean, the definition, and I don't know how these guys used to use it, but if if uh, say PTI Securities is quote worth money in the bank, machines, uh, office, whatever, whatever the the thing has. Say we got, you know, two million dollars worth of stuff, 
and somebody comes by and, mm-hmm. and pays five million for the place. By the way, where is that guy? Uh, uh, and pays five million for the place. Yeah. Now he, he paid three million more than what's on our balance sheet, correct? So when he moves mm-hmm. all our assets onto his balance sheet, what does he do with the extra three million bucks? Because it's a double entry accounting, right? He paid three million cash out to three mil. What comes back on? What comes back on is something called goodwill. It's actually uh, paid in excess of of, uh, of book value for whatever you just bought. So then mm-hmm. there's there's $3 million in, in, in this, this spot called goodwill, and what you would do is you would then depreciate that. I don't know if you had 10 years or five. or You had to depreciate that as an expense because somehow or another you have to let your – you got to get I, your – I, I think goodwill is indefinite. You can – uh, I think you have a lot of flexibility. You might you, you might have flexibility, but somewhere along the line you got to write it off. So somehow you got to you got to match up. Uh, it can't be sitting there like thirty years from now. I mean, say what the hell is this? Hmm. Because you got you got to match up. It it, it 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 can't. It has to come off your income at some point, unless you. But what they used to allow people to do, I think, mm-hmm. was revalue the balance sheets somehow. Where if you, if you bought like uh, you got an, a new cost basis on yeah. your. Uh, on the new fair value of the assets that yeah, you acquired like, when you buy out, yeah. No, that's a that's a my brother question. That's a that's a serious accounting yeah. question. But and somehow you could take uh, because, for instance, when CCB bought Capital Cities Broadcasting bought ABC, this is one of the classic ones. There actually were two. They bought ABC, uh, ABC but a, it was a depression time, depression recession time, and nobody was making a lot of money in broadcasting and blah blah. blah where they buy the place. Well, it turns out ABC had a fully depreciated building that I think was a square block in Manhattan or something. And, and the building was worth more than they paid for the whole company at current market value. But it was fully depreciated mm-hmm. on the balance sheet. So somehow, someway, I don't know if you can raise the price of that value on your balance sheet or whether you just keep it there or if you have to sell it. To me. That, that I don't know. I'm not, I'm not accounting that much. Same thing happened with uh, when... Uh, Northwest Airlines was bought by somebody. They owned a Delta. They they owned a a, a huge building in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And Delta got the building. It was fully depreciated. Yeah. So yeah, somehow when you buy places, you get you finagle a bit. But but these companies that did this, I guess. The bottom line here, if I'm way too long on this. When when you conglomerate, as soon as they stop, they found a way to make a profit just by buying a place. I guess is the bottom line. So if, as soon as they stopped buying places, their profits stopped. And I don't think the profits were ever legit. I think it was a revalue of the balance sheet somehow, Russell. I can see that, with the, especially within that industry. Yeah. They just, you know, they, 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 yeah. buy, they buy Russell's Russell Inc. for a million bucks and somehow find a way to say it's worth a million one and, and take a, a, you know, 100000 the profit. They, they, they somehow found a way to do that. So as soon as they stopped picking people up, they, they just were out of business. I mean, how scary is that? I very yeah. <laughs> you got me speechless on that one. Yeah, I man, but but that's so. what was uh, was those guys. Remember Litton Industries? It was LTV? Was it Ling Tem- Temco Vought? Was that the name of the place? Oh, that was. I can't remember that. That one's uh, conglomerates were were being broken up about when I started in the industry. Yeah, well, but I mean, I guess you could say these yeah. these a lot of these. Uh, Drug companies—they buy everybody who's small. I guess they're conglomerates. They just want, they're only in one industry. Well, right? hell, Google, Google's a conglomerate. Or Microsoft. 
All these guys are. Uh, well, and the reason I say Google's a conglomerate is they uh, they have a whole bunch of umbrella companies that they have bought, you know, that they've bought out over years. If anybody has a really cool technology that might compete with them, they buy them. Um, hey, by the way, we are, we are Kenny Polkari started this, and a couple of listeners have jumped on it. Thinking of maybe a, a day in New York with Kenny doing a uh, tour of the New York Stock Exchange. I don't know if you have any uh, days where people don't have class. If a couple guys or a couple guys, a couple students might want to be involved, in, we, we probably got to find a way to to match up a date. I think it'll probably have to be a Friday. We can't go on a holiday because New York Stock Exchange won't be open. Uh, maybe have some sort of a an evening where we, you know, a couple of people give a 20-minute talk. Nobody wants to hear us talk too much in New York. I, I'd love to have a, a couple of things scheduled, like a tour of Yankee Stadium and maybe Madison Square Garden. That'd be kind of mm-hmm. fun. If we could do it like a day and a half or something, it would be kind of fun. I can do that. You can totally do that. Uh, maybe even have a couple of students or something. That'd be cool. I don't know if I like my students that much right now. They've been, they've been griping a storm over their derivatives midterm. Uh, well, you know. Half the reason I hate half the reason I hate testing giving tests is the aftermath is just a big pain in the butt. Well, derivatives is not an easy subject. It's not intuitive. It is not an easy subject. It's not intuitive at all, right? No, uh, no, it's not. And that's uh, I teach and I teach just about every concept in two completely different ways to try to get it across. I usually I usually found when I taught classes on that. Now you're you're much more advanced than I am, but uh, <laughs> every, everybody's pretty in tune with the car insurance concept yeah and it's the it's a good way to go about um you know explaining it it's it's probably the best example best way to go about explaining them um anywho as usual loved having you buddy uh everybody my uh if if i don't ask we have a couple people that always send me an email how's the little dog who's supposed to be dead little dog who's supposed to be dead is doing really 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 well cool Good for you. Oh, and and uh, she's she's having a great week with me because everybody else is out of town. Um, and she likes you. She digs I'm back, you. I'm bashful. Yes, she does. She does like me a little bit. Okay. SP futures down ten. Nasdaq futures down sixty four. Back tomorrow. Stocks and jacks. It'll be Kevin tomorrow. Kevin swapped with Lou. Stocks and jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.